Welcome to the Sophisticated Marketers Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 5. Welcome to the show, marketing friends. Uh, I am just back from a two-week trip where uh, I was off to Tel Aviv, Israel for Content Israel, where I did a keynote. Uh, then I made a little stop over into Jerusalem for the day. I'd, I'd never been. I stayed in the old city. It was spectacular. Uh, quick shout out to my friends uh, Talia and Ilya from Powtoon, uh, which is a video creation platform, an animation platform. Uh, very cool stuff. Check them out, powtoon.com. Uh, they actually gave me a tour of Jerusalem, uh, which was very kind of them, and I loved uh, uh, hanging out with them and hearing their story, which is a fantastic one. And then uh, off to uh, Berlin for Native Advertising Days. Uh, my good friends uh, Stina and uh, Jesper have one hell of a conference going up there, and it was the biggest crowd yet. I was the uh, day one keynote, which I'm always glad to be part of that conference. So I am back. Um, I have one more event this year in Bratislava. I've never been. I'm looking forward to it. That's happening on the uh, 29th of this month uh, of November. So stay tuned for that and, and uh, follow me for all my photography endeavors and whatnot. Um, speaking of photography, a little quick music update. I saw this band last week called Chick Chick Chick. Uh, it's three exclamation points. But I tell you what, folks, I never heard this band before, but I wanted to see a show in Berlin. Walked into the show. And they completely blew my mind. It was like the first time seeing the Scissor Sisters, who's one of my favorite bands. Uh, speaking of going to see Jake Shears tomorrow night here in London at a, a little private, or a, not a private show, but a small, intimate show, if you will. So uh, on to today's show. I want to remind you to subscribe to the LinkedIn Marketing Solutions blog. Uh, if you just Google B2B Marketing blog, we should show up in the front. We have a pretty long URL, so <laughs> it's the easiest way to get to uh, subscribe to all the B2B marketing goodness we have there. Sales and marketing goodness, if you will. Uh, I contribute something once a week, as does my team. So uh, all the latest and greatest on all the trends, uh, the best and latest and greatest happening with marketing with LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Um, and of course, uh, folks, I don't ask for much. If you have a moment, it just takes two seconds. Can you leave us a quick review on iTunes or Stitcher? It just takes a moment. I think we are now on Google Play as well, which is uh, big news. Hopefully Spotify is coming up next. But uh, your reviews are what keep the show moving forward. And if you do post a review, please tweet it to me. And I'll put you in a drawing for a special Sophisticated Marketer swag pack, which you don't want to miss, full of exclusive LinkedIn marketing swag, like the hoodie I'm wearing today that is super limited edition. But um, one other quick thing. I wanted to say a uh, big shout-out to our friends at ImageThink, who have provided the visual graphics for the pa uh, the first few episodes. If you missed uh, Shannon... Shannon Brayton's it's uh, one of my favorite podcasts. We got LinkedIn CMO Shannon Brayton on the show. Uh, that was our last podcast. Great image from ImageThink. Uh, if you don't know ImageThink, you should know these folks. Uh, ImageThink's a creative consulting firm. They help organizations redraw all the rules in business. So whether you're leading a quarterly strategy session or sharing your keynote stories, ImageThink listens deeply to capture and communicate the essence in pictures so that you can put your biggest ideas into action. 2018 planning, folks, reach out to ImageThink. They could uh, they could boost this up, illustrate it, make it fun for you. Uh, I guarantee you're going to love them. I've seen them do this in real time at events, and you can share the content instantly. It goes viral almost immediately. Uh, in, in most cases, in some cases. How about uh, they just do a fantastic job, and we are glad to have them as a partner on Season 6 of the Sophisticated Marketer Podcast. So now on to today's guest. 
Uh, you might be wondering about this one, but I'm going to tell you, uh, he is a founding member of Night Ranger, who's been a been rocking and rolling for 35 years, sold over 18 million records worldwide, including 20 gold and platinum records in the U.S., Japan, and Canada. It's Brad Gillis from the band Night Ranger. And you might be wondering, why, <laughs> why is Brad Gillis, the guitar player from Night Ranger, who also played with Ozzy Osbourne, mind you, on the Speak of the Devil, one of the greatest live albums in the history of live albums. Why is he on the show? Well, I'll tell you why. Number one, I'm a huge fan, and I booked the guests. Uh, <laughs> but seriously, uh, Brad is very, very active on LinkedIn. And he, we actually, in fact, we have 80 mutual connections, uh, but he uses LinkedIn in such a unique way that I wanted to share his, well, I wanted him to come on the show and talk about how he uses it for business. So uh, please welcome to the program, Brad Gillis, a founding member of Night Ranger. It's been uh, 35 years. Is that, is that right? Where's the time go? Yeah, 35 years. I tell you, man, you know, uh, the great thing about this band is we've had longevity, which is pretty rare these here, you know, these days with bands that have gone over, you know, that have put more than you know one or two records out and disbanded so you know we found a nice little uh, niche and uh you know the main thing with night ranger is we all get along we have fun we have a good time and of course you know going out and playing great shows for a lot of people helps it keeps the uh excitement going within the band but you know we also try to be creative and put out a new record every couple of years whatever that's worth but we do have a large core of night ranger fans that have stuck with us throughout the years so you know, uh, we're able to go out and kick butt and and uh, and 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 still sell records. And and the cool thing is uh, that really works for me personally is you know we're kind of uh, the weekend warrior band we call it. You know, we go out, we play on the weekends, usually Fridays and Saturdays, do the big gigs around the country, and you know, home during the week. And I really enjoy that factor only because I got so much other stuff going on on the side. So. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great brand, Night Ranger, and uh, we're, we're able to parlay off it for 35 years. We're kind of celebrating the 35-year anniversary right now. And, and I tell you, man, I, I, I'm a very lucky man to uh, have been able to drive my passion all these years and, and, uh, and get up on stage and play for thousands of people. It's a wonderful thing. Well, well congratulations on 35 years. And, uh, you know, the first time I saw, or the last time I saw you play, um, so I'm one of, uh, in, in my spare time, I'm a rock and roll photographer. And uh, I was one of the, one of the uh, official photographers on the Monsters of Rock Cruise. And it was, uh, it was just this earlier this year where I saw my first Night Ranger show. And I tell you, it was on the main stage, uh, one of the most uh, incredibly high energy shows I've ever seen in my entire life. You guys had more energy uh, than bands half your age up there. Uh, I mean, it, it was one of the best shows I saw on, on this ship. Um, so that blew my mind completely. Uh, you have a new record out. Uh, it's called Don't Let Up. And uh, I've been listening to this uh, for, for a couple of weeks now, gearing up for the, for, the, uh, for the interview here. But a lot of folks are asking, why do you have Brad Gillis from Night Ranger on the podcast? Well, number one, I will tell you, uh, I'm a fan. I booked the guests, uh, so <laughs> that's the first reason. Second reason is, uh, is that you're, you're really active on, on LinkedIn as a platform, and I find that pretty interesting that a, a musician, I know you have lots of different business deals happening, and, and we'll talk about those in a second, but uh, how did you know that your audience was on LinkedIn because I'm looking at your profile. We're connected. We have 80 mutual connections, by the way, which is which is remarkable. Uh, but I look at wow. your posts. You do a great job with engagement. Your LinkedIn profile looks spectacular. Um, how did you know your audience was here, and, and how do you approach the uh, the platform to get the engagement that you get? Well, I got to tell you, you know, I was never a big fan of Facebook and Instagram and all those other social uh, 
networks because uh, it just got overwhelming for me years back, and I kind of dropped off and everything, which I shouldn't have, because a lot of people gauge you on how many uh, likes you have on Facebook and to judge your popularity. But, you know, I see other guitar players around me that are, you know, kicking ass and doing, you know, 100,000-plus, you know, connections. And I, I did drop the ball on that, and, you know, since then I actually just hired somebody to help me with my uh, – my Facebook and uh, <clears throat> different social networks to, you know, go, to go through all the grunt work. Because the last thing I need to do is be answering, you know, questions from every fan that, you know, hey, how'd you get that guitar sound? Hey, you know, where'd you get those shoes you wear on stage? It's just, it was just too much for me. But, you know, I ended up uh, getting on LinkedIn. I knew it was a great platform with professionals. And I thought, what a great way for me to get on there and connect with people uh, that are in my industry and, and around my industry in all different aspects. And, you, you know, Jason, in this day and age, it's, it's all who you know. And, and my advantage is I look at it as, you know, well, who knows me? And, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, CEOs and presidents of different companies and, and uh, music supervisors and all these other people that, you know, are, are fans of mine and grew up with, with our music. And, and I use that to my advantage. Uh, and I'm really doing well at it. And, you know, right now I'm, I got a lot of things going on with music production. I've, uh, you know, uh, I play soft, you know, three to 400 songs with uh, in the past 17, 18 years with like ESPN and Fox Sports and do all the music for Tiger Woods, PlayStation games, two of those, and, you know, all these different uh, avenues of music. But now I'm, you know, when I'm home, I'm seriously getting into finishing this library and, uh, and getting it out to the right people to place a lot of the stuff. Because once you do finish the library, you just kind of sit back and let it work for you, which is a beautiful thing. And, you know, not to be pigeonholed in one musical box. Uh, you know, I've gone out and I've done, I'm doing a lot of orchestration rock. I'm doing, I got some hip hop tunes. I got uh, flamenco, uh, you know, straight ahead, straight ahead rock and roll, you know. And uh, uh, it's to the point where, you know, all these connections I have, which are, God, I'm almost up to 7,500 now. Um, you know, I'll be uh, hitting up some of these people and and see who who bites and and get some of this this my music out there. And and a guy, you know, a guy like me that's a very creative guy. I've come up with a couple uh, TV show ideas that rival like uh, American Idol and The Voice, but totally different takes. So, uh, you know, just trying to work all this stuff and it's it's fun for me because I got to tell you, Jason, I don't take days off. My day off will be when I get home Sunday from flying all day back from wherever I played and just hanging out on that Sunday and, and having a nice dinner with my girl. But, uh, you know, I get my rest when I'm on an airplane flying and, and, and such. But when I'm home on, you know, I get home Sunday, I, I kind of rest up Monday morning. I'm up writing music. And when I'm in the groove, dude, I'm, I'm doing 14, 16 hours a day because when the creative flows, you got to catch it, man. So, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate to, you know, all my life be involved with music. And music is my is my thing. And, 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 you know, I got my first guitar when I was eight years old, had my first band when I was 10. When I was a freshman, I was playing with all seniors because I started early, you know. And, and it was so funny because back then, uh, you know, I was eight, nine years old when I got my first guitar. Um, you know, taking lessons, you know, this, this old guy teaching me, like, you know, read music, how to play, like, Mary Had a Little Lamb, and, like, <laughs> you know, like that Twisted Sister, that Twisted Sister video, I Just Want to Rock, right? <laughs> so, uh, 
a, a friend of my brother's came over and he goes, Brad, he goes, you don't need to take lessons from this guy. He says, you know all the basic 12 chords, you know, the basic chords. He says, uh, just listen to the radio, man. Listen to the radio by ear and, and listen and kind of figure out where the chords are going. You could play these chords, man, and just kind of figure it out. And then after a while, you'll start to get it. And I, you know, a couple months later, I started to get it. And, you know, my brother uh, would go out at night, but he was an electronics guy. He set me up with this uh, little little uh, guitar distortion, distortion preamp, and, and he'd play his records <laughs> back when they had records. And, uh, you know, and he set me up with these headphones that went into this little box where the, uh, the turntable um, output came into this box along with uh, my guitar, and I put on the headphones. I was able to jam to all these great records back then. And this is 1969, 1970, 71. Those, uh -huh. those days were, you know, Led Zeppelin and The Doors and Jimi Hendrix and Big Brother and the Holding Company with Janis Joplin and all these, this great music, classic music was coming out. And I started playing this stuff and I started to get it, you know? And so I, I pretty much learned by ear and then started, you know, playing lead and, and a couple of friends, you know, probably some lead licks and, then I you know, basically just got into it, and after I graduated high school, I got directly in a club band at 18 years old. I was actually too young to be in the band, but uh, playing five nights a week, five sets a night in the San Francisco Bay Area. And what was great for me, this is right around 1975, 76, is uh, there was a lot of, you know, funk going on and, and, and uh, uh, just, uh, you know, those Chucky Knight chords and the disco era and all the stuff that was coming out. And, and, you know, being a rocker, you know, I really wasn't into this music, but I learned a lot from it and how to play clean and chunky knife chords. And, and uh, I, it just really uh, upped my game to whereas after that, somebody came in and saw me playing at a club and pulled me into a band called Rubicon. That mm -hmm. Rubicon had Jack Blade, you know, Night Ranger bass player, singer, and he's with the damn Yankees. And, but uh, he was in the Rubicon and that, you know, we went out, did a couple records and we played at Cal Jam 2, March 18th, 1978, the biggest day of my life. 250,000 people. Wow. On Ontario Motor Speedway, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, Hard Day, Mason, all these great bands. But we were the unknown. And we were supposed to open the show, but they thought that was too big of a slot. So <laughs> they put us after... They put us after Aerosmith at the end of the night, which, hey, no problem, you know. Uh, I think there was a total of 400,000 people. And so, uh, you know, we were probably thinking we probably had 250,000 people when we played. But, you know, all that, you know, just just up my game. And, uh, you know, I knew the music was going to be my life. And, uh, you know, that we ended up, you know, we ended up uh, starting Night Ranger after that. And, you know, I, uh, well, I had an intern point where I, uh, intern point where I was playing with uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know if you know that. Fast, but, yeah, uh, I saw you post that, that, that that image on on LinkedIn, like a throwback Thursday image, and it was Ozzy uh, had shaved his head. Can you tell that story really quickly? Yeah, man, that was a, that was <laughs> talk about some crazy times. Talk about being you know thrown right into the fire, man. It's like uh, when Night Ranger was trying to get a record deal, we did our demo, we were shopping it, but basically we didn't want to go out and play clubs and for you know fifty hundred people because we hadn't had a name yet. So you know I started a band called the Alameda All Stars, and we were playing a couple Ozzy tunes. Long story short. Uh, when Randy Rhodes uh, tragically died in that plane crash, uh, two weeks later, I got a call from Sharon Osbourne to come out and audition for the band. And and I tell you, uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't even believe it was her on the phone, you know. And uh, I thought someone was was screwing with me because people 
knew that I kind of wanted to do this gig. But basically, uh, you know, you know, Sharon called me at eight in the morning after staying up real late the night before playing on Hey, little Bobby, this is Sharon Arden. We'd like to fly you <laughs> to New York for an, for an audition with Ozzy. And I'm going, come on, who is this? You woke me up. No, 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 this is Sharon. Let, let me put Ozzy on the phone. I said, yeah, put Ozzy on the phone. <laughs> All right. So this, this voice comes on, hey, little Bradley. Uh, yeah, you know, I still didn't believe it. Uh, <laughs> he goes, oh, uh, I want you to grab a grab a paper and write down these songs to learn to come out and, and, and to audition for us, you know? And, and I thought, come on, is this for real? But because <laughs> my dad was a pilot back then in the 80s, and my dad was a pilot, and when he used to fly to New York, there'd be a delay on the phone from California to New York. It was a slight delay you hear on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I, when I heard that delay, I freaked out. I absolutely freaked out, Jason. I thought, wow, this is the real deal. I got up, man, you know, just, oh, geez, got a paper, wrote down these songs, and that was Sunday. And I told Ozzy, I said, I only know like two or three songs. He says, well, it's about time you learn them, you know? So, okay. <laughs> so, so I had friends bring over some Ozzy and Black Sabbath records, and I learned what I can for a couple, for two days, Sunday and Monday. And Tuesday, they flew me to New York. And when I got there, uh, they didn't even have a room under my name, and I had $150 in my pocket, and it cost me 135 for the room. Anyway, long story <laughs> short, you know, I got in there, met Ozzy, did this audition in his penthouse bedroom when I sat at the end of the bed with my red strat and no amplifier, and he sat on the floor with his legs crossed and, <laughs> and said, well, what do you want to play? And I go, I go, let's, let's do, uh, you know, uh, 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 let's do Crazy Train. You know, let's do... Uh, uh, you know, we, I played a couple things for him, right? But when it came to the solo, I did my thing, and he jumped up and hugged me and said, Brad, I love you. Pull me through. You know, I could tell he was going through a hard time. So, yeah. you know, that's what started it all. And uh went out and did a big tour around the world with Ozzy. And then, you know, Rudy Sarzo, the bass player with Ozzy, left to go back with Quiet Riot, which just got a record deal. Huge. Boom. And then Nine Ranger got a... Uh, was offered a record deal with the stipulation that I came back with the band. So, you know, knowing that it was a tough situation with Ozzy, I, I had Rudy had left. I thought, man, I'm going to go back to my bros here in the Bay Area and, and, uh, and get this record deal and see what happens. And the cool thing was November 15th, 1982, mm-hmm. the Speak of the Devil live record that I played with Ozzy uh, and the Night Ranger Dawn Patrol record were both released the same week. In the middle of October, uh, November 1982. So that was kind of a staple of coolness for me. And, uh, you know, here I am 35 years later with the same band. So, you know, people say, you know, why did you leave Ozzy? Well, you know, Ozzy's been through six or seven guitar players in the past 30 years. <laughs> and here I am with the same band. You know, I, I call it job security. <laughs> I think you made the right decision, of course. And, and Brad, you know, back in, in the early days, uh, just... You know, Sister Christian, one of the biggest anthems of, of my generation uh, and beyond. I mean, it's its legacy is... Uh, but let me take a step back. Did you have any idea when you were recording that song, the impact it would have on, on popular culture, uh, just on the music business? Did you have any idea? Yes, we did. And here's why. The record company had heard Sister Christian and knew it was going to be huge. But instead of the typical situation where a band comes out with a bang... And they go in and do the second record, and they're out touring and stuff. They really can't live up to the songwriting of the first record. 
and they end up putzing out, the record company thought, we're going to save Sister Christian for the second record. (laughs) And that's going to take you guys over the top. And, you know, just to throw a little icing on the cake, we wrote, you could still rock in America, Uh you know, and that was a big, huge, that was our first single off the second record, Midnight Madness, and then Sister Christian came out. And the cool thing was, you know, when we came out, MTV was huge. They didn't have enough content to play, uh, uh, to, to fill 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So they played Don't Tell Me Love Me literally 25 times a day. Uh, <laughs> no problem, because everybody, everybody was honing into MTV, and it was like the huge thing back then. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, then, you know, we were touring with, you know, the likes of Cheap Trick, and we actually went out with Black Sabbath. We toured with Kiss. We toured with, you know, uh, you know, Cheesy uh, Top, like uh, Cheap Trick, and all these different bands. And then when Sister Christian came out and was all over the radio and like just off the top of the charts, the, our, our booking agents at the time said, hey, you guys, I think it's ready for you guys to headline. It's about time you start headlining. So we thought, okay. So we, I remember going in, we upped all of our gear, made this big old stage plot and, and got all that stuff together and went out. And I'll never forget, I think it was uh, late uh, 83, early 84, when Sister Christian was on top of the charts pulling into La Crosse, Wisconsin, to the Coliseum there. And the Marquis said, tonight, Night Rangers sold out, you know, 7,000 people. <laughs> so that was like the, the start of our ride, our big ride throughout the 80s. So, yeah, we've, uh, yeah, there's been a, been a quite, quite a career for this band. And uh, it, and it's it's still fun, man. It's still a blast. People say you, you, you're tired of playing subscription every night. No, are you kidding me? You go to a different venue, different stage, different audience, different vibe, and you got everybody singing the chorus along with Sister Christian. That stuff doesn't get old, man. It's exciting. How have you, Brad, how have you guys, uh, being the masters of the MTV era, how do you guys, how, how have you kind of, uh, you know, transformed the way or adapted the way you sell your music, uh, you know, in the digital era? How, how has that transformed for you? Are you close to the marketing of the record? And do you guys play a big role in that? In the marketing of uh, records these days or back then? I mean, I guess through the whole phase of like you saw it, you know, the MTV phase to the radio phase to the transition of all digital, all on, all the time. Well, you know, what we did, we had to do our part, which was, uh, you know, back then before cell phones and stuff like that. And, and of course, the Internet. Uh, we had to, uh, you know, do whatever uh, w- was asked of us to, to promote the record. And that was basically doing interviews for every city we go to. So I think uh, I've probably done two to 3,000 interviews in my career. Wow. You know, I, I'm a guy that, you know, graduated high school, you know, with a good grade point average, but never went to college. My college, I didn't take geography or, you know, I, I'm a, instead of, you know, taking geography, I actually went to the places, you know. I, <laughs> you know, I've been to every city around the country, you know. And, and as far as communication, you know, I do uh, I, I, you know, do all my thousands of interviews through my career. We do 50 to 100 People meet and greet every night, and uh, you know I learned to you know communicate with people, just be nice and 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 uh, you know take care of everybody, and you know and when you're nice and take care of people, and uh, show them you know true enthusiasm for them when they're talking to you, it's like you know they're your fine pants for life, uh, you know, and 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 I, that, the, the whole thing with me is just you know be nice, be happy, uh, smile, you know, and and that that goes a long way in this industry, so. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just glad that, you know, these shows we've been doing lately, it seems like there's a resurgence of the 80s rock in the past couple of years because, you know, in the 90s, everything kind of shut down. You know, Nirvana, all the uh, the new stuff came out and it kind of killed us. And 
about 95, 96. We broke up for a couple of years. And uh, when we got back together, uh, the Japanese operas offered us a record deal and they come to Japan for a tour. And then we you know, got the original band back together and went over to Japan, did this record. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, oh, we, you know, we're, we're still viable here. You know, it's, we still got something going on. And, but in the States, you know, we really didn't want to do clubs because we're, you know, we're a concert band. We're not a club band. So we didn't work that much. But little by little, things started building up, and uh, the audience started getting bigger and bigger. Then all of a sudden, uh, we, we get thrown into all these different uh, three-act situations uh, where you've got, you know, either whether it's uh, Journey 400, Night Ranger, or, you know, whoever, you know, Ario Sticks, Night Ranger, all these different packages. We were seeing, you know, five, seven, 50, 15,000 people at these at these uh, stadiums, and, and, and uh and, uh, you know, outdoor venues and, and coliseums and stuff. So mm. we, we kind of watched that build up, and uh, we were lucky enough to get on this uh, Journey Foreigner tour in 2011 and did 65 shows around the world. Wow. And then we went off on our own and went to Japan and in between. But uh, I tell you, man, just, <laughs> just even, open, even being an opening act for those bands, when you step out on that stage and you got 15,000 people there, which actually came early enough to see you because they are Night Ranger fans, uh, there's no other feeling. It's, it's just unbelievable. Uh, you know, especially in a coliseum where they black out the lights and the audience goes nuts. And all of a sudden you're on stage and all the lights come on and you start your first song. It's like, wow. This is all worth it. <laughs> Brad, uh, where's the um, most unusual place you've heard your music over the years? I'm, I'm assuming with some licensing options here and there. Just what's the what's the uh, oddest request you've gotten or the strangest place you've ever heard your song? Well, uh, you know, uh, hearing the song when you close your eyes in an elevator, elevator music. <laughs> uh, Having, uh, you know, different people online do their renditions of some of your songs and actually do a parody or whatever, that's kind of amusing. But, you know, I got to tell you, any press is good press. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you know somebody's making fun of you, you know, that's a, that's a big Sammy Hagar quote, you know, any press is good press, you know, because you're a building familiarity. So, um, you know, uh, the thing about our music, it's, I'd like to say it's kind of timeless, um, because only because, uh, you know, we're still getting uh, the classic rock stations around the country. They're still playing us a lot. We're in, we're in pretty pretty good medium rotation and all over the world on these classic rock stations. So, you know, the only downfall is doing new records. There's really no, there's really no airplay. There's only a handful of stations that will play into your new music because if they're a classic, classic rock station, they're playing classic rock, you know, so. So we had to we have to rely on our core fans to for, for albums for CD sales and downloads. So I was listening to the record. The new record's called "Don't Let Up," uh, and the, the two opening tracks uh, somehow, some way, running out of time, coming out of the gate swinging, classic uh, Night Ranger sound, uh, all up to the end, my, which has my favorite track, which was uh, "Nothing Left to Nothing Left of Yesterday." The big I'm a, I'm a big chorus guy, so I love the big chorus. But uh, and the album is getting incredible reviews. But I pulled one off of Amazon. I'm not sure you guys actually read these on Amazon, but that's where I think the source of truth is when it comes to reviews. Uh, so this is a real review from Amazon on the new record "Don't Let Up." It says, uh, the title is, Adam, or, uh, album is so fantastically good, you'll immediately ask two questions. And those two questions are, could they release it on vinyl or would, would it melt the disc? 
Uh, the second question is, wow. <laughs> wow, what does 35 years and a killer album do for a band? It makes them timeless. This is an actual review from Amazon I just pulled before the interview. So do you, do you read these? Wow. Inter- <laughs> You know, you know, I, I do read some of those, but I'm the kind of guy that will read 30 positive things, and one, some, one person will say something negative. It's like, okay, I'm done, you know. But uh, yes, we knew the reviews were going to be great, only because it went out to all the uh, all the reviewers and around, you know, uh, around the, around the world actually. And at that point, when the record was released a couple months ago, uh, each, you know, the, the core members, the new core members, you know, Jack Lace and Kelly Kagi and I. Uh, we probably each did 75 or 100 interviews around the country for the new record. And that's when you know things are popping because they actually listen to the record. They go, oh, we got to do a review on this with one of the guys. So uh, we knew it was going to be good. It actually hit number one on Amazon at one point with all these uh, all these great bands coming out. And But, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's cool, but I almost wish that it was back in the 80s where you would get uh, nationwide airplay. So if you go and play a new song or two, at a, at a venue around the country, everybody will be singing it, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately you have your diehard fans that, you know, uh, maybe if you got a couple thousand people to show, maybe only, you know, a couple hundred have the record. So it's kind of what it is, but you know, we still, we still try to throw a new song, uh, somehow, some way we just threw that into the set. We're starting to play that live. That's coming across the well, cause it's high energy, you know, and it's, it's good rock and roll. And, you know, this band has always been about choruses and melody. And there's a format we've stuck to with all of our career. And basically that's great chorus, you know, great melodies on the verses and the chorus, and, and uh, twin guitars, harmonies, and melody, uh, the guitar melody. So, you know, we've stuck to that format throughout our career, and that's why, you know, we really haven't changed our, uh, you know, our writing process. But, you know, the only thing that's changed is the recording process. You know, mm-hmm. things are bigger now and fatter and louder and stuff like that. But, uh, uh, you know, this, this machine's going to keep rolling, Jason. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we got about 90, 90 shows this year. We got Punta Cana down in the Dominican, Dominican Republic coming up. We got Puerto Rico going back to Japan. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're booking another Monsters of Rock for next year. Uh, I'm playing my hometown here. Oh, you're a Bay Area guy. Yeah. Uh, on the 12th of August, we're playing Shoreline with uh, Steve Miller and Peter Frampton. So that's our big hometown show. That'll be fun. Any European but, uh, dates in the mix yeah, we, there? Uh, yeah, we already booked a couple shows in Europe for March next year, I think. But the problem being with us is we did we went over a couple times in the 80s, but we should have been going back every year, and we didn't. And we just started going back a couple years ago. Uh, but you know we got a following there. But if we would have kept it up, we we would have been a lot bigger in Europe than than we are. But uh, everybody knows who we are. We did the Swedish Rock Festival a couple years ago in front of eighty thousand people. So that pretty much let people know that we were still around. <laughs> wow, Brad, I, I got just, just a couple more questions for you, if it's okay. Um, you know what? What do you think? I mean, you know, you know Gene Simmons, right? You toured with Kiss. Uh, what do you think when Gene says? Something like rock and roll is dead, or tries to trademark the uh, the devil horns. Uh, what do you? What's your take on on either one of those topics? Well, Gene Simmons is all about business. You know, we toured with him on one of our first tours. It was with Kiss, and we got to be good friends with those guys. And uh, uh, you know, I actually went through Gene Simmons' uh, Polaroid uh, collection once. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But you know, uh, you know, Gene, Gene, and 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 he's, uh, you know. He likes to, he likes to speak his mind. So uh, you know, to each his own. And uh, 
you know, um, they're still kicking butt. Uh, we did the kiss, the kiss cruise two years ago with those guys and lucky enough to be on that. And so, uh, yeah, they're all friends of ours, which is kind of cool. Speaking of friends, uh, JJ French was on the show and he says, hello. He was just in, uh, he was in the office here. He was in London. He was doing business. He stopped by, say hello, but, um, he says hello. And he says, you guys have crossed paths a couple of times. Yeah. You know, great guy. You know, those guys talking about coming back with a bang, I mean, they ended up only doing like 10, 15 shows a year, but every show they did was huge. And, of, of course, they're huge in Europe. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, 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 more power to them, man. I mean, they have some great big songs in the 80s that, you know, they all were number one, you know, and uh, you can't beat that, man. Yeah, it's funny. JJ, uh, we have a mutual friend, and he came by the LinkedIn office, another big fan of LinkedIn, um, and we just chatted it up, and he's been on the show and told me some great stories. But, uh, yeah, he told me – I was chatting with him right. this morning. He told me to tell you hello. And uh, one last thing. I know you're a, a big uh, guitar collector, uh, guitar fanatic. My, uh, I want to tell you this really quick story. Um, one of the original Flying Vs, the one that Eddie Van Halen has, uh, my grandfather um, bought that guitar when he was a kid. Uh, I, I was told, um, I have the original receipt for it, and I was told that there were only four made, and my grandfather saw this in, a rec- in, in the store of a guitar shop, and he bought it, uh, and it ended up being sold to Eddie Van Halen, and it's on the cover of a Guitar World. So um, uh, I wish I had a connection to, to, to say where that guitar came from, uh, but uh, have you, ever, have you, you play, a, you play a V occasionally, correct? Uh, you know, as far as, you know, what, what I have quite a few Vs. I got... Uh, uh, Three of them actually, and but they're from the the, the Karina bodies uh, in the early '80s, uh, the reissues of the the, the uh, 50, late '50s uh, Vs. But uh, the only guitars I play live are my my mate Tutu Restrat I've had through my career, and uh, and a couple Fernandez copies that are exactly kind of re- replicas of of that with you know original Floyd Rose of the Floyds that were built in Floyd, in his garage in 1978 and. And uh, built-in wirelesses and stuff, and all my guitars. But you know, mainly I just play my red strap live. But home recording, I tell you, man, a flying V's got that sound. That's got that crunch to it. So I recorded a lot with 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 uh, with flying V's and Explorers, and of course, big fat Les Pauls to get that you know that chunky sound. But uh, you know, I, I have the luxury of, of grabbing any guitar I want here and getting any sound I want because I got about forty amplifiers too. I have the whole. <laughs> collection of blackface fender amps from the 65 era uh so i can get all those clean sounds and of course every amp head imaginable and speaker bottom imaginable so the common combinations are endless over here is what i could do and i'm a big effects guy and got every effect known to man but you know as far as live i just i just play straight up man i just go through an amp and uh i don't get into all these different pedals and sounds and distortion and things like that because i i, I get it out of the guitar and the amp itself Brad, last question I have for you: um, Album covers. Do you think they still matter? And uh, what's how do you guys come up with the uh, what's the creative process for the for the new album and the cover? Well, uh, it was actually kind of my idea. You know, I was uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy that had a couple of uh, three challengers back in the '90s. You know, uh, you know '70s and '71 challengers. You know, I had 318, and I went up to a 383 orange, and then I went to a 383 RT Plum Crazy Purple Challenger. And of course, everybody was, you know, into the Hemi Kudas back then. And, you know, when we came up with the title, Don't Let Up, you know, one of the songs off the record, you know, I just came up with the idea, hey, what about, you know, a bunch of cars racing and we're in the lead, you know? And uh, so, you know, they ended up putting these different cars, different combinations of the three cars on the album cover. 
And I go, no, no, dude, you got to put a Mopar. You got to put a Hemi Cuda in the front, in the middle. <laughs> I go, <laughs> you know. So they revamped it and did that. And, you know, as far as uh, what they're worth now, I mean, it's just a, you know, it's just a, 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 a you know, it's just, just a shot of, uh, you know, the, the idea of what the band conceptually comes up with for records, you know. So the cool thing is that the, uh, the, the 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 cars translate great on t-shirts and stuff we're selling a lot of merch with those cars on especially in the midwest but that's kind of cool but uh you know um they really don't matter much but i remember back in the day when i was a kid growing up and all the big albums especially like cheap you know uh cheap drills uh big brother and the holding company with all the cartoons on the front you know you'd sit in your bedroom and you'd listen to this music and you just stare at that album cover mm-hmm. or a double album you'd open it up and and, you know, look at all the, you know, uh, different pictures and band shots and live shots. And it was pretty fun back then. But, you know, things are a lot smaller now <laughs> with CDs and it doesn't translate as well. And also, you know, mostly everybody's doing downloads anyway, you know. Are, are you a vinyl collector, Brad? I have a couple boxes of old uh, of records that I've had throughout, you know, growing up and everything and a bunch of stuff I got from my brother. I actually found my turntable lately that uh, uh, I could actually play play the stuff on but i've been too busy to even, to even go there man i'm 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 a busy man i'm, I'm i gotta you know with my touring and doing all this stuff, other music i don't have time for stuff like to be able to start listening to the old vinyl but the thing is i got you know uh on my on my phone i got all those old classic records i grew up with on my phone so i can listen to anything anytime i want fantastic well uh brad i, I want to be conscious of your time here uh and respectful of your time here so thank you so much for uh for taking the time to chat with me today uh the new record is called don't let up uh you can follow brad on linkedin uh and and follow his adventures there he's very active he posts some really cool stuff so um brad thanks so much for your time and i really do appreciate it hey no problem jason thanks for having me buddy and uh like i said i'm digging linkedin man and and, uh, and it's working for me so everybody out there you know just realize man uh, linkedin does work and I've uh, actually got a bunch, a lot of work off it so far and, and other people that I'm connecting with that I'm going to be using for business later on. So uh, any, any uh, non-believers out there, i got to tell you, it's working for me. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brad. Please do keep me posted when you guys come over to, to London. Stop by the office, say hello. Uh, I will definitely beat the show when you guys come to the U.K. No problem. I will take care of you, buddy. Thanks, man. Take care of you over there. And make sure you get in with all your friends. You got it. Fantastic. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. On the next episode of the Sophisticated Marketers Podcast, do I have a treat for you folks? It's Ron Tight uh, from the Tight Group. He is a, a, an award-winning keynote speaker and author. He's uh, a comedian. Um, he's incredibly insightful. I'm so glad he took the time to join the podcast. So stay tuned for that. And don't forget, folks, imagethink.net. Go check these folks out. They do some incredible work. Add some cool illustrations to all of your ideas. Get them out there and uh, and let them tell your story for you. Uh, ImageThink.net and tell them the Sophisticated Marketing Podcast sent you. Folks, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Until next time, remember to keep your content tight and your messaging right. If it ain't relevant, it's just noise. Noise.